So just remember to keep them in prayer. And also, I just wanted to let you know that uh, the, the other tragedy, that was part of Sister Perkins' family, so please keep her in prayer, please. The second thing I wanted to mention this morning, that this is actually a kickoff for our expansion of our Bible school. We, there, we decided that we were going to do a singles women's ministry because they had unique issues, but also we will be doing a um, single men's ministry and eventually we'd like to get the whole church involved in doing a community Bible study. And so basically this is our sixth week that we've been doing this study and so it culminates, but we will continue this study because the objective is that we want every woman in the community to hear about Jesus' message of love. And so it's a powerful message. It sets you free. So that's what we're doing. And we want to get more young people involved, but we're going to be out in the community where there are single mothers with children. And it's our prayer that they will come in and join us into this church of faith. We welcome our KKVV listening audience, 1060 on your radio dial. If you are joining us, we are Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church, located at 1720 J Street, the corner of J and Doolittle. We invite you to come and worship with us Saturdays at 11.15 a.m. Our speaker, Dr. Marva Bourne, is married to Dr. Kendrick Bourne, and if he's here, could you please stand, and also her daughters. Candace and Danette, and also the grandson. With stand a little longer so the audience can take a nice look at you. The amen. What a what a fine looking family. Glad to have you here today. You may be seated. And as I just said, they have two adult daughters. Candace. Which one is Candace? Hi, Candace. And Danette. Hi. And the proud grandparents of a four-year-old grandson. <laughs> Dr. Bourne was born in Trinidad and Tobago and have lived in Southern California for the past 25 years. She has worked professionally as a marriage and family counselor for the past nine years. Her passion is working and teaching parenting classes to families, young people, and high-risk youth and their families. She received her PhD in 2010 from Loma Linda in marriage and family therapy. She is currently working at Paris, family, Paris Valley Recovery Program where she serves as a mental health clinician. She teaches parent education classes and runs various programs for the youth. Dr. Bourne is a member of Valley Fellowship in Rialto, California, and serves in the capacity of woman, women's ministry leader. The next voice you will hear after the worship and song is Dr. Melva Bourne. And her topic today is replacing, replacing Satan's life with God's truth. Please open your hearts and be receptive to hear what God's servant have for us today. Let us all give her a hearty amen. <laughs>
morning, church. I'm delighted to be here this morning. Um, last year, uh, I was at Sister Rhoda's house, and uh, that's where I met uh, Pastor Lee was and his lovely wife. We have known them for a few years, and we have, as we have come visiting your church um, from time to time. And uh, when we were talking sometime last year, he asked me about possibly speaking. And I told him, yes, I would be interested in speaking. And so he called me and invited me to speak. And I thank you for the invitation. And um, I already had my family introduced. And I want to also introduce a dear friend who has traveled with us to be with me, um, Sister Rodia. She already introduced herself this morning. And um, when I look in that corner, I can see their smiling faces, and I know they're rooting for me, and um, they're praying for me. <clears throat> now, as you heard, my topic is uh, <clears throat> replacing Satan's lies with God's truth. And you know, when you choose to speak about that, something like that, you know who gets mad. So, one of the first things, first lies he wants us to believe is that we're not really in a battle, you know? We're not in a spiritual warfare. When indeed we know we are. The Bible has told us that we are fighting against spiritualities and powers in high places. <clears throat> so because he knows if we believe that he is real and we are in a real battle between good and evil, then we would not feel the need to go before God. We would not feel our nothingness or weakness. And so we would not feel the need to go to God. We would realize we are no match for the enemy and we would seek God on a daily basis. He doesn't want us to do that. So, this is even before I begin my sermon. I want you to know that um, there's an experience we had as a family a few weeks ago. Our church decided that we were going to have um, early morning prayer meetings, uh, online prayer meetings, and I already shared that with um, Sister Mac. Mac David, um, and she's been a very wonderful hostess uh, guiding me through this process. And um, I told her that I asked her, first of all, did she have, um, does your church have an early morning prayer line going? And she said, no. And I would like to advise that that is something that you may want to think strongly to consider as a church family because it is something that will knit you together. Um, if you are praying for one another, you're not going to be um, criticizing and blaming and um, tearing down one another. Instead, you'll be building each other up. And Paul told us and the scriptures tell us that we should pray for one another. And there's a reason why we should pray for one another because we need the prayers. God hears intercessory prayers. God honors when we pray. We are obeying his command to pray for one another. So our church, uh, the prayer ministry leader, she, did, she had this on her heart all the time to um, have this prayer line started. 
And so last year we started it in our church. And of course, you know, again, who doesn't like something like that going? And so um, the very first, every quarter, we try to meet face to face in the homes because uh, during the week and during the months we are praying online, we're not seeing each other face to face. So we decided we are going to pray and meet and have an all night prayer meeting once a quarter. Well, one particular uh, quarter, it was supposed to be at our home. And um, while we were getting ready for the prayer, the members to come, um, the prayer leader came to our home to, um, to, to help me get ready. And when she got to my door, she said, oh, there's a dead creature right outside of your doorstep. And it was probably a gopher or something, but it was just there, a dead creature. And so my husband came and got rid of it. Well, fast forward to two weeks ago, Wednesday. We have prayer meeting at our homes, various elders' homes every Wednesday evening. And then on the first Wednesday, we have it in the church. And so this Wednesday, again, um, it's usually between our, our home and an, a neighbor, um, an elder who lives not too far from us. And so my husband got up that morning and he said, you know, I did not remember to tell Gerald, Brother Grando, um, whether we're having it at our home or at his home. So I said, well, um, go ahead and call him. We'll just go ahead and have it here. He said, I'll just tell him we'll have it here. So he called Brother Grando, reminded him that we're going to have prayer meeting and it's going to be at our home. And um, I went on to work that morning and he told him it was going to be at 8 o'clock. I went to work that morning and while I was looking at my computer, I saw the pastor had sent a reminder that it was second Wednesday and on second Wednesdays, um, our community services department would need help uh, distributing food to the homeless, to the, those who needed food. And I told myself, well, I'm going to go this time because I've promised myself over and over, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, but then something happens or I forget and I never go. So I said, well, I have no excuse. I'm going to go. Now I'm telling you this story because I want you to look at God's timing and I want you to look at how the enemy is working behind the scenes many times. We are unaware. We don't even know what's going on. We are not even thinking about this spiritual battle we are on. And so that afternoon, I left work and I, I had some appointments. And one of them was pretty close to home. And I was talking to my husband and I said, you know, I said I'm going to go to the church, but I think I might just go home. And then after I was finished talking to him, something told me, no, you promised you're going to go to the church, so why not just go on to church? So I drove onto the freeway and headed up to church. I got there and started working with the other ladies. And then one of the ladies who usually comes to the prayer meeting, she said, oh, you're having prayer meeting tonight? I said, yes, at our home. What time? I said, 8 o'clock. She says, don't we usually meet 7.30? Uh, it is a little too late for me. I have to go and take care of my family and so on. I said, okay, I'm going to call my husband and tell him we're going to do 7.30 and I'll call everybody and remind them 7.30. So on my way home from church, 
I'm calling people and I'm saying, remember, it's going to be 7.30, it's not going to be 8 o'clock. And everybody says, okay, we'll be there for 7.30. So, scene changes, I'm home, I'm in my house, and um, I'm waiting, preparing for people to come, it's almost 7.30, and uh, just at 7.30, I hear like a noise outside. So, I opened the door thinking, thinking it was some of the people who were coming for the prayer meeting who had shown up and met each other and were talking. And as I opened the door, the gentleman who was supposed to lead out the prayer meeting that night, he was standing at the door. Well, not at the door, he was off at the porch telling me, you guys have a large rattlesnake right outside your door. I closed the door and I was like, oh my goodness. I called my husband down, he came, went around, got the shovel from the garage. And while he's going around to the front to the walkway, the other gentleman, Brother Grando, he's coming up the walkway now. He knows how to kill snakes because he's been living out in the area where, you know, there are lots of wild creatures and stuff. And so, between the three of them, they managed to kill a snake with me looking out through the window because I was not going out there. <laughs> and uh, what Herbert, Brother Williams, told us is that he had gotten to the door, was about to ring the doorbell when he heard a noise and he thought it was our sprinkler system was coming on or something, so he didn't pay it any attention. He reached to ring the doorbell a second time and that's when the noise got louder and he realized, okay, this is something. He jumped back, looked, and there was a rattlesnake. Now, we ended up having a praise meeting that night instead of a prayer meeting because not too long after, about five minutes after they were still outside, who shows up walking up the, the walkway is my daughter and my grandson. And my grandson has a habit of running up to ring the doorbell. You know, even if my daughter has the keys, he likes ringing the doorbell and hearing it and seeing somebody come out to greet him. So anyway, we thought about it and said it would have been our grandson. Had we left the time, right, at 8 o'clock, who would have been walking up our, to our doorbell first? Our grandson, Xavier. And what could have happened? We, we shudder to think what could have happened. But we also recognize it was Satan at work because of all the times, of all the nights, it's when we are about to have prayer meeting at our home that this creature shows up at our doorstep. And it was when I was talking to our prayer um, coordinator, she is in Maryland staying with her family right now, and she, yesterday we were talking and she said, you've got to prayer walk your home. I said, yes, we had done it before, we have done it before, and I'm just saying this is another thing that if you have never done this before, try it. You prayer walk your home and you ask God for protection you anoint every area of your home because we are in a warfare between good and evil and the devil is walking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Amen. So we give God praise because he interceded and he thwarted the whole plan. Who knows what could have happened, right? Well, last night I'm preparing, I'm, I have prepared my sermon. I'm getting ready to 
to come today, and we are staying with Sister Rhoda. And so I'm sleeping peacefully. When I feel like something just across my chest like this, sorry. And um, I was screaming, I couldn't get up, and my husband woke me out of my sleep, and he said, you have a nightmare. And I said, okay, this was about a few minutes before two o'clock. And so, right then and there, I knew what it was. Satan is upset, he's mad, because of what I'm about to preach this morning. And so, I had a long talk with God, because I couldn't go right back to sleep. And what he was telling me was, I had no plans of talking about this incident that happened and talking about the battle we are in between good and evil and the need for us to step up our game and like, like Paul told us, put on all the warfare. Uh, prayer, start with prayer. We cannot pray too much. Every, every bit of prayer we need it. And um, so this is why I am introducing my topic with this. Uh, letting you know, know that we're in a battle. And right after I fell asleep again, I felt something else happening to me, like some red lights and some presence holding me down on the bed, and I'm fighting again, and I, 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 my husband woke me up again. I said, he said, you know what it is. I said, yeah, I know what it is. I said, but we cannot be afraid. Um, and I, he did not know what I was planning to talk about. Uh, and I told him, guess what the, t the title of my sermon is? And I told him, he said, no wonder. I said, I need prayer right now, so pray for me. So he prayed for me. And I come to you this morning standing, letting you know that I firmly believe that what I'm about to say, God, God is asking me to say this to you. And so, um, let us pray as we go into the topic for today. Amen. Kind Father in heaven, we thank you so much for being the wonderful God that you are to us, for loving us with your unconditional love, for caring about us, and for being there for us when we need you most. As we are about to listen to the words that you have given to us this morning, I pray your Holy Spirit will be with me, empty me of anything that is myself, and fill me to overflowing with nothing but your Holy Spirit. And may the truths that are spoken here this morning touch the hearts of all those who are listening, and may we be drawn closer to you as a result of it. I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, let's take a look at our uh, scripture reading once more. I will read it from the New Living Translation. It's the favorite, my favorite um, translation. Um, it says, you can find it and follow along as I read it. It's Romans 8, 31 to 37. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, wouldn't he also give us everything else? Who dares to accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. 
For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Amen. And it's interesting that um, in the prayer, we are praying for Pastor Rock's uh, sister. Um, she was a member of our church at Valley Fellowship for many years, working with the young people. Um, she was also a member of a couple other churches, and her passion was always working with young people and trying to recognize them and make them feel good and take them places um, and give them experiences that they may not have had with the music ministry and everything. And it is really a tragedy as we hear what happened. But again, it's saying that we have to live every day as though it is our last, because it could very well be our last day, you know. Uh, it also lets us know that God's people are not immune to what's going on in the world around us. We are living in the, in the world, and sometimes bad things do happen to God's good people. What we have is the hope that there is a future, and there is eternity if we, if we live right, and we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid because anything can happen at any time. We just have to make sure that our relationship is so, is so tight with God that should anything happen at any time, we are ready. And so uh, for the young people, the singles, this is for everyone, deepen your own spiritual relationship with God. Seek time uh, with him early in the morning when everything is quiet, find your time. And uh, parents who are raising young children, uh, let them see you modeling that to them. We can never be too busy where we leave God out of our day. So spend time with God, talk to him. Whatever your situation, whatever your trials, whatever your difficulties, spread them out before God. And this is why it says, and it's one of my husband and my favorite text, favorite saying, statements. Um, your spirit will be braced for endurance, and the way will be open for you to disentangle yourself from embarrassment and difficulties. The weaker and more helpless we find ourselves to be, the stronger we will be in God's strength. So strengthen yourself for this spiritual battle that we are currently fighting, and it's not going to end until Christ comes in the clouds. Okay, so now to the sermon. Vicky's mother was only 13 when an uncle came to visit the family. He was only there a few short weeks, but after he left, their precious teenage daughter began showing signs of pregnancy. 
The family was a prominent family in the church, and so everything was kept secret. The daughter was sent away to live with family members, and nine months later, Vicky was born. Of course, that's not her real name. Vicky grew up feeling shunned by her family, and she did not have a good relationship with her mother. She was the bearer of her family's shame. Amidst battles with depression and eating disorders, she struggled to prove that she was someone of value and to make the family proud. Although she excelled academically, she's now, she now has her doctoral degree, there was always that nagging thought in her mind, you're inferior, you're just a nobody. Lies. These lies come from the one whom the Bible calls the accuser of the brethren and the father of lies. Now, Vicky's home is not the only, one, the only one that leaves the occupants bruised and broken. Many individuals have been traumatized from other people's poor choices that have led them to question, where was God when this was happening to me? Uh, some of us carry guilt and shame for generations. Some of us make our own poor choices that result in embarrassment, and difficulty. And we wonder, how can we ever get our lives back on track? Well, the wonderful news I have for you is that God's ability to restore life is beyond our understanding. Forests burn down and are able to grow back. Broken bones heal. Even grief is not a permanent condition. Our tears can be seeds that will, will grow into a harvest of joy because God is able to bring good out of tragedy. When burdened by sorrows, know that your time of grief will end and that you will again feel joy. We must be patient as we wait. God's harvest of joy is coming because sometimes we become impatient. But when we try to fix it ourselves, guess, guess what? We mess up and we make things even worse, right? And then God is waiting there patiently for us to come back to him and let it go and let him take control all over again. If we make the wrong choice and give in to temptation, there are consequences we must face. However, God is able to restore and turn our mistakes into experiences of spiritual growth. Remember, think about Moab. Do you remember what happened with Lot after he left Sodom uh, when the angel pulled them out, right? And led them to, he finally ended up in a cave with his two daughters. And then because there was so much um, of the, the lifestyle of Sodom and Gomorrah that had infiltrated into his family, they ended up sleeping with their own father and having children for him. And, and um, the Moabite nation was a result of those incestuous children that were born to Lot. But look at how God turned that situation around. And now, when you read about Ruth and Naomi, where did Ruth go? 
to Moab, right? And what ended up happening? Ruth was a Moabitess. She ended up being the great-grandmother of David, through whose ancestral line the Messiah was born. Okay? So that is for some of us who, because of the circumstances of our birth, think or may be led to think that we are nothing or nobody, right? But God has a plan for every one of us. It doesn't matter how we came into the world, right? It could be out of incestuous relationships. It could be out of rape. It could be out of um, whatever circumstances, right? God has a plan for each and every one of us. And the hurting and the pain that people go through because of how others may look, look at them, look down at them, talk about them, or the way they feel just by knowing, you know, I'm looking around and I'm not seeing a daddy in my life, or I'm in a foster home, or I'm adopted, or nobody cares about me, and they're questioning how they came into this world. I'm here to remind you that God loves each and every one of us, and it doesn't matter how we came onto this scene of action, Christ's blood was shed for every single one of us. Okay. In my profession as a marriage and family therapist, I have noticed that every family seems to have a story that leaves the occupants bruised or broken, hurting, traumatized in some way or another. Just this week, I listened as a couple shared with me how difficult it was for them to have supervised visits with their five children who were taken away from them and placed in foster care. They claim this was based on false accusations. They are taking parenting classes to qualify for reunification with their children. And how sad it was, the mom was just in tears when she told me about the youngest daughter had just turned three when she was visiting with them last week. And they had a birthday party and celebrated with them. And then they had to watch helplessly as the child was taken away back into foster care, crying, wanting to be with her family, and they just have to let her go. So people are hurting. Then another parent shared the agony of her children choosing to be in foster care now, rather than return home to live with a mother who was in an abusive relationship. She said, they want me to choose between my husband and them. I told him to leave, but he is not leaving. What am I to do? I know once I started dating him, I neglected my children. Now I'm so sorry. If you have been or are in a similar situation, you may be feeling that you have failed your children. You may be telling yourself that you're not good enough. That's a lie. The truth is that you are deeply loved, completely forgiven, fully pleasing, and totally acceptable to God. First Corinthians 6, 11 states, but you are washed. You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of, God, of our God. 
So you may have made a mistake. You may have done some things that are costing you now, right? Maybe even uh, your own children. But it doesn't mean it's hopeless. You can come to God, seek him, ask forgiveness. There is no sin that is outside of his ability to cover by his blood and forgive. So I don't know what you may be going through, but I'm just, as the thoughts came to me from God's Holy Spirit as I was preparing, these are the, the illustrations that came to my mind. This is what I'm bringing to you. And somebody out there might be struggling with something that God is trying to say, all I need for you to do is to let go, stop worrying, stop trying to fix it yourself, let it go and come to me and I will take care of it. All right, how many times we've asked God to forgive us? You might keep beating up on yourself. Guilt is a powerful motivator, but God does not operate by using guilt or condemnation, and that's so wonderful to me. Now, Satan uses guilt and condemnation. He is the one, you know, the test asks, who dares to condemn us before God? He is the one who dares to condemn us before God. Um, you remember, he, he, many times he approached God, and we have biblical reports of how he went to God saying, look at Job, you know, the only reason he's serving you is because, you know, you're doing such and such for him. Why don't you uh, put him to a test? Another time he went to God in the spirit of prophecy is when Moses was um, buried, and God was taking Moses up to heaven, and he is saying, oh no, he is mine. Because the last thing I remembered is, he followed my instructions, but God said, uh-uh, that's not so, he is mine. So he tries to get us to think that, to, to accuse us. But when he comes at us with lies, we need to be prepared to recognize those lies and refute them with God's word. That is how Jesus dealt with him in the wilderness. Remember how he tempted him in the desert and tried to get him to doubt the fact that he was indeed the son of God, if you are the son of God. Just before his baptism, if you remember, God had opened the wind, opened heaven and come down in the form of the dove, the dove over Christ and the father had said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But if you notice, when Satan is tempting him 40 days later, he is saying, if you are the son of God. He left out a very important word, beloved. Because he doesn't want Jesus to think of himself as beloved. And he doesn't want us to think that we are beloved. He wants us to think that, he wants us to doubt whether we are children of God. But God says, you are my beloved. We are the apple of his eye. So we can know that, that whenever we feel worthless, like we are nobody, like we are nothing, remember, God said we are his beloved children. He loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. So um, in her book, I'm Not Good Enough, and other lies women tell themselves, Sharon James tells us that if feelings of condemnation persist, 
they are the result of listening to the accusations of the enemy, listening to the lies. Excuse me, one minute. She states, when it comes to using guilt-infested words to motivate, don't speak it and don't receive it. The feeling of not being able to forgive myself is steeped in self-loathing. Anger with myself is self-blaming or blaming myself. Satan tries to keep us in a morbid mindset of self-loathing. It is part of his job description as accuser of the brethren. It comes in the form of, you deserve what you got. You made your bed, now lie in it. Not only that, you made your bed, now you must stay in it. But we know that that is not coming from the God who loves us. God is saying, you made your bed, yes, but I am here with my hands open wide, with my blood, ready to wash you if you come to me and seek me asking for forgiveness and asking for my help to allow you to go and sin no more, right? Now, <clears throat> Lashana was only 15 and the mother of a beautiful seven-month-old baby girl. She was in my parenting class. Her mother had started having babies when she too was about the same age. Mom had been through many boyfriends and was now raising her six children alone. Her older sister, who was 18, was already the parent of two young children. Lashana felt, of course that's not her name, that her mother did not care about her and was only using her as a babysitter for her younger brothers and sisters. One brother was already in juvenile hall. Mom was depressed and so was Lashana. She was struggling to finish ninth grade. She treated her depression by eating continuously. She was overweight and had poor self-worth. Like Vicky in the first story, she tells herself, I'm inferior, I'm just a nobody. I'm insignificant and doesn't, don't matter to anyone. Lie, lie, lie. The truth is that all who receive him, this is found in 1 John 1, 12. Yet all who receive him, all who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And also 1 John 3, 1 tells us how great is the love the Father has bestowed upon us he has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. So don't forget it. No matter what you're going through, no matter what choices parents have made or others have made that are affecting you, it does not matter. What matters is you refuting that lie and accepting God's truth that he wants to call us his children, and that is who we are. 
According to Russell Kelfer of Discipleship Tape Ministries, I was looking um, on, online and I got this information. He says, we have a great deal of information in the scripture about how Satan works. In Matthew 13, we know that he is a tear sower. He loves to put fakes among the real thing. He is a seed snatcher. He loves to steal the truth before it takes root in the Christian's life. In 2 Corinthians 4, we are told that Satan loves to blind the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot see the truth. In John 8, we are told he is the father of lies, a father of all unbelievers, and he cannot tell the truth. 1 Timothy 3, 6 tells us that he is the perfect illustration of what happens when you try to be your own God. In Luke 13, we are told that he binds men through their physical circumstances. So he helps to set up circumstances and sometimes we fall for them, you know, and he thinks he's gotten us, right? But we have a God who can undo any trap that the enemy sets up for us. So maybe he set some temptation before you, you fell for it, and you feel trapped, and you feel like there's no way out. But with God, there is always a way out. And with God, the end is always more glorious than the beginning. And so no matter what the circumstances are that has you maybe in a situation where you might be feeling trapped, maybe it looks hopeless, that's not a word God has in his vocabulary, hopeless, no way. So take it to God, spread out your case before him, tell him how you feel. He already knows, but he wants you to come to him and let him know that you are seeking him. You need his help. You need his strength. And he will work things out for you in ways that you cannot begin to imagine. Now, uh, yeah, again, what he tries to do is um, he desires to sift us, Christians. He doesn't like us, you know, until we fall. In Acts 5, we see that he fills men's hearts to lie, so he tries to get us to deceive our own selves. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, we see that he loves to destroy marriages through temptation. In 2 Corinthians 2, we read that he battles to keep Christians from seeking forgiveness from one another. Because if he can keep us constantly tugging at one another, blaming one another, arguing with one another, um, hating one another, he's got us. So, like I was saying earlier, what we need to do is start praying for one another, exhorting one another, encouraging one another, as Paul tells us. Um, and the last thing we read about him in 2 Corinthians 2 is that he, oh sorry, in Romans 12, he knows that his time is short. So if he knows that his time is short, you know that he's coming at us with a vengeance and he is not coming with intention to fail. He is coming and he is trying to win. If we try to struggle with him in our own strength, we are no match for the enemy which is why we need to seek God for his grace, his power to overcome temptations. There are times when we find ourselves 
We are doing the same thing over and over and over again. And we ask God forgiveness. And God is gracious and God is forgiving and he forgives us. And we go on and then we do it again. And we come back and we ask for forgiveness again. And we feel trapped in this cycle of, when am I going to get out of this thing? Right? But God, God's grace has two faces. One side is forgiveness, but the other side is power to overcome, to go and sin no more. Power to go and not be, be overcome by the besetting sins in our lives. He is giving us the power to overcome those things and to walk in holiness. Maybe you can identify with someone in the stories we, I just shared with you. Um, what I can say to people who are hurting so deeply, what hope can I offer? I want to share, you a, share with you a story of a woman in the Bible who had an encounter with God. And I will use her own words to say it. And as I, as I read it, you will recognize who she is. I was an Egyptian slave woman and the personal servant to a very wealthy and beautiful woman. She tried for many years to have a child but lost hope when she got past the years of childbearing. She encouraged her husband to have an affair with me and I became pregnant and bore a son. That put me in a position of superiority over my mistress. I was able to do something that she couldn't, and I did not let her forget it. Then, to everyone's surprise, my old mistress became pregnant and bore a son too. Well, that certainly changed matters. I was determined to have the upper hand in this situation. And I continued to make life difficult for her. I reminded her that my son was the firstborn and entitled to the birthright. When my mistress could take it no longer, she told her husband to send me and my son away. I couldn't believe it. He actually listened to her and sent me and our son away with just a little food and some water. We wandered in the wilderness until all the water was gone. Then I did not know what to do. I put my son in the shade of a bush and went a little distance away. I could not bear to watch my son die. My hopelessness led me to burst into tears. All my life I had been at the mercy of other people. Did anyone see the unfairness in this situation? What was going to happen to me and my son? Where was God in all this? Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then I looked up, and I saw a well full of water. I quickly filled the water container and gave my son a drink. 
I stopped there because I want to go back. You know, we've usually heard the story from Abraham and Sarah's side, right? But we never think about what it must have been like to be Hagar, you know, and uh, to be used, basically. Um, and then to be discarded. And how many women sometimes feel like that? You know, used, then discarded. And whether it was by choice, whether it was by circumstance, whether it was by whatever it, it could have been by, you feel used and discarded. But there is hope. Our Bible tells us God saw even before she was in a situation of distress, while she was even thinking about God, God said, I have heard the boys cry and I have provided, there's water here and I will make him a great nation. So even before you call, God will answer and while you are yet praying, he will hear and he has provided for us. We just have to come to him and believe that he will take us out of our situation and he will make the end better than the beginning. And this is what Hagar says. When I met God, he showed me that he already knew my situation and that he wanted me to get to know him better. I thank God for how patiently he worked with me to make my escape attempt fail. I was in great distress and cried out to God. He helped me. And then he told me to go back and face my problems. I learned that escape is only a temporary situation. I realized that we experience God's help most clearly in and through our difficulties, not away from them. So many times we are going through stuff and we try to work it out our own way or we try to run away from it in various ways. You know, you know how people try to run away from things using drugs and alcohol, maybe um, sex, maybe whatever diversions we as human beings try to use to run away from our problems. But God says, no, you got to turn around and face it. The only thing is we, when we turn around and we are facing it, we are facing it with God, right? Um, yeah, like Hagar, many of us find escape from some, of some kind, I'm sorry. Like Hagar, many of us find escape of some kind as the most tempting solution to our problems. We may deny them, pass the blame on to someone else, use food or other substances, like I just said, to numb our minds, or find some pleasurable activity to take our minds away from them. <clears throat> However, have you noticed how patiently God operates to make our escape attempts fail? Have you begun to learn that escape is only a temporary situation? That God brings us back to the same place over and over again until we learn the lesson? Time and time again, he'll bring us back and bring us back and bring us back until we learn. God's continued desire is for us to face our problems with his help. 
We experience his help most clearly in and through conflicts and difficulties, not away from them. Uh, well, there is more that I can say, but I think you've gotten the point. <laughs> and so I will not belabor you with much more. I think the point that God was trying to get us to get this morning, we got it. And uh, being a teacher, I like to hit home the point over and over again, but I'll spare you that this morning. God has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Talking about healing now. Uh, he is like a father to his children, and that's what we are, right? Tender and compassionate to those who fear him. He knows we are weak, and he remembers we are only dust. And that's something that every time I read this text, it endears me so much uh, to God because it helps me to see that he understands us. And that's why Christ came, you know, to live as dust, to live in our flesh. And uh, he remembers. He knows we are weak. We are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass. Like wildflowers, we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been here. But the love of God remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children, of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. In closing, I will read for you a poem written by a young girl, I think she was only 15, of Newport Coast, California. She wrote this very appropriate poem, and this is what she said about it. She said, God has inspired me to write this piece of poetry. Without God, I would still be stuck, stuck in Satan's lies. I am faced with Satan lies on a daily basis, but I conform them to the Lord as I read this poem. I have struggled with a severe eating disorder since I was 12 years old and have applied this poem to my life in many ways. This poem offers a hope and a future and a light at the end of the tunnel. It can now, it can now not only be an inspiration to me, but also to others. Thank you. And her name is Sabrina B. And that's where I got the title for my sermon. It says, Replacing Satan's Lies with God's Truth. Amen. She says, I am a child stuck inside of Satan's lies. I am weary, for I know my heart is not with God. I am scared, because I know I don't know what to believe. So I search for God. As I search for God, then I see the light, and I am filled with his glory. I am a child stuck inside of Satan's lies. I am critical of myself. I must meet certain standards to feel good about myself. So I search for God. As I search for God, then I see I am totally forgiven and fully pleasing God. 
I am a child stuck inside Satan's lies. I am uncomfortable around those who are different than me. I must be approved by certain people to accept myself. So I search for God. As I search for God, then I see I am totally accepted by God. I am a child stuck inside of Satan's lies. I am afraid of what God may do to punish me. I believe I am unworthy of love and deserve to be condemned. So I search for God. As I search for God, then I see that I am deeply loved by God. I am a child stuck inside of Satan's lies. I am generally disgusted with myself. I am what I am. I cannot change. I am hopeless. So I search for God. As I search for God, I see I am a new, absolutely complete person in Christ. I am a child filled with God's truth. I am totally forgiven and fully pleasing to God. I am totally accepted by God. I am deeply loved by God. I am a new, absolutely complete person in Christ. I am no longer stuck inside Satan's lies. I no longer have to search for God. I have found him. I am a child filled with God's truth. I have replaced Satan's lies with God's truth. I am fully, I fully love and accept myself because I am completely loved and accepted by God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. At this time, I'm calling on my daughter to sing um, the song of the field. Give it all, he won't 
is no longer powerful. And so, Lord, we thank you for the victory in Jesus Christ. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for benediction. What a powerful message this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's have a minute of prayer before we depart. Father God, thank you for your woman servant today. What a powerful message. And Lord, we pray before we leave here that we be in one accord, that we stand on your word, your truth. And now we know Father, your truth will always stand. And we don't have to believe any more lies. We thank you this hour, Lord, before we leave here, that you put your hedge around every man, woman, boy, or girl. We pray this morning that you put your hedge around the speaker and her family. Lord, we ask you for travel and mercy as we leave. Be with us. Lord, we ask you finally, please continue to Show us your ways. Teach us your path. Guide us into your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And remember to remain reverence. You'll be ushered out. Thank you for your cooperation. God bless.